okay, 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 okay. I'm gonna start. Let's talk about something else. I'm just so shocked. It's unbelievable how people lie like that. Anyways, thanks for letting me know, whoever, whoever had my back. But yo, be careful because they, they see your messages. Add me on Snap. Fireman nine nine nine. I have to make sure that I I curse. I don't want your motherfucking kids listening to this Because they shouldn't This is an adult show Adult only Adults only So tell your little dumbass kids Go to bed Brush your teeth Go to bed Make sure you scrub your tongue too Get all that Corona virus out. All that bacteria, get it off your tongue. Get a metal, metal tongues, tongues, tongue scrubber. You can order that on Amazon. It's like $9.99. So they told me I have to leave the country because of my religion. And my religious beliefs. Because I want a lot of wives, not just one. But tell the truth, they really want me to leave so they can do the little nasty shit. Disgusting. Let's watch this. The famous evolutionary biologist and militant atheist Richard Dawkins, in one of his interviews, stated that there's nothing wrong with a person eating the meat of their dead relatives, although there should be prior agreement. Let us discard morality and prejudice for just a moment. (laughs) And look at this problem exclusively from a scientific point of view. Is Dawkins' advice really safe? Or would following his philosophy threaten us with deadly ailments that could not be cured even in the foreseeable future? To start off with, let's go to Papua New Guinea. When the first scientists in the 1950s reached such a remote place they discovered that something strange was happening with the local people among a tribe called the four with a population of approximately 12,000 people 
about 300 inhabitants died annually for unknown and mysterious reasons. But the symptoms were the same for everyone. At first, there were problems with walking. People lost control over their limbs. Patients couldn't rise from the floor. They could not take food on their own, control their bodily functions, nor their own emotions. As a result, everyone who got sick later died. The press called it the laughing illness, and the locals gave it the name Kuru, which means trembling. Mostly, adult women and children under eight suffered from this ailment. For decades, the cause of the disease remained unknown, but later it turned out that the whole thing had to do with a bizarre funeral tradition. Members of the Four tribe would eat their dead. First of all, women do this because local beliefs suggest that only a woman can tame the dangerous spirit that accompanies a dead man. Also, women would sometimes give pieces of the human brain to their young children. The disease itself was caused by the proteins that make up each of us. Only these are far from ordinary proteins. They are completely devoid of any carriers of genetic information, that is RNA or DNA. But despite this, they're capable of increasing the quantity of their own particles in the victim's body in a way that's unknown to science. Scientists have called these proteins prions. They're in the nervous system of all mammals, including humans. The molecules of this protein are twisted incorrectly. In their normal or alpha form, proteins are not dangerous. On the contrary, they help maintain the daily cycles of activity and rest throughout the body and also positively affect the transmission of nerve impulses. If, at the time of the formation of the protein, there's a prion nearby with a different structure of molecules, then a dangerous beta structure can form. The body doesn't distinguish prions from ordinary proteins, so the immune system does not wage any struggle against them. Some scientists believe that dangerous prions constantly appear in our bodies, but are immediately eliminated in a biological process. Exceptions to this process lead to the fact that the growth of prions gets out of control, and then a person is doomed. Brain cells are gradually destroyed, wreaking havoc on the rest of the body. This primarily concerns the cerebellum, the part of the brain responsible for coordination. It's for this reason that the impairment of mobility appears as one of the first symptoms. Then the lesion spreads to the entire brain, and as a result, it becomes covered with and turns into something that looks like a sponge. The Four tribe was a fairly isolated population. Therefore, due to genetic degeneration, the mechanisms for the self-cleaning of cells from prions were disrupted in one of the local residents, which led to the emergence of another prion disease, variant Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease, similar in symptoms to Kuru. An infected person developed pathological prions, and after death, passed them on to all the women and children who ate the brain of their dead relative. Each new infected person is likewise eaten after their death. 
So the cycle repeats and the infection spreads. The residents of Papua New Guinea were eventually told the reason for their suffering. But even after ending the tradition of eating their dead relatives, cases of this fatal illness continued to occur. The fact is that the incubation period of prion disease can last up to 27 years. All those who at least once consumed human meat in Papua New Guinea, at least 21 years later, began to feel the symptoms of Kuru. And after the first symptoms, the disease develops rapidly and death occurs quickly. The last person with Kuru's disease was reported in 2009. However, as it turned out, this prion disease can be picked up not only from eating human flesh, a steak with blood, undercooked or raw meat of mammalian animals. All this is a source of infectious prions. In this case, an amount of just a few molecules is enough. Even if you boil meat several times, this doesn't guarantee safety. After all, prions can't be killed. That is, of course, if one can even call anything without a genome living. Boiling, drying, freezing, treating with alcohol and acids, ultraviolet and gamma radiation, none of these can destroy a prion. For this reason, if an animal with prion disease is detected, it's destroyed along with all the equipment used. In the case of a person, almost the same. People, of course, are not killed, but MRI machines in which patients were examined are destroyed. Although Kuru is no longer found, about 300 people die annually from other manifestations of prion disease in the United States. There is no cure. In many other countries, not a single case has been recorded. But this doesn't mean that there's no disease. The fact is that many countries, such as Russia, don't want to lose money on the loss of equipment. Therefore, if patients with prions are found, they're given some other diagnosis so that there's no legitimate need to dispose of expensive equipment. It may seem that this disease appeared only in the 20th century, but in fact, it's as old as cannibalism itself. Moreover, Simon Underdown from Oxford Brookes University believes that prions wiped out the Neanderthals, among the closest competitors of Homo sapiens. The tradition of eating their tribesmen and relatives was very common. According to Underdown's estimates, if an infectious prion were to infiltrate a proposed group of Neanderthals consisting of 15,000 individuals, it would only take 250 years for this cannibalistic diet to cause the extinction of the entire group. Given that the first symptoms do not appear immediately, the large brains of Neanderthals could not establish a causal relationship between their cannibalism and the disease. However, as it turned out in 2009, some representatives of the Four tribe, who had only recently eaten the dead, had immunity to the Kuru disease. It was developed in an evolutionary way. Scientists confirmed this implanting the resistance genes into mice. Then they infected the rodents with all kinds of prions. The animals survived after all of the trials, but most people whose diet doesn't include human beings 
are still very likely to be doomed to an agonizing death when the first symptoms appear. Today, there's only one organism that can resist these killer proteins. It's present in your sandwich. More precisely, in the yeast used in baking the bread for the sandwich. You can even detect yeast infected with prions with the naked eye. Once in a yeast colony, prions deprive them of the red pigment. And as a result, the entire colony becomes white. However, they're absolutely not dangerous for yeast cells. And the prions in yeast are also not able to harm a human being. Moreover, they help yeast better adapt to constantly changing environmental conditions. Stanley Prusiner is the man who discovered the prions and received the Nobel Prize for it. I'm sure that in the near future, humanity will be able to find an effective medicine. But until that moment, there's every chance that prion diseases might become a new plague of the 21st century, an epidemic that exterminates entire populations. This can happen even if we don't follow Dawkins' advice on eating relatives. After all, prions are evolving and may soon find new ways to infect their victims. So, do you think we can defeat these terrible diseases? Write your opinions in the comments. If you like the video, give it a thumbs up. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you haven't already done so. Click on the bell in order to receive timely notifications of new, fascinating, and interesting videos that are waiting for you ahead. diabolical master manipulator and maniac responsible for instigating the murders of seven people was known particularly for his demonic stare and for almost never blinking during a conversation this blinkless stare chilled his interlocutors thankfully this irredeemable reprobate finally passed away last year but what if in some cosmic quirk of fate you somehow end up in the world's ultimate end-all be-all staring contest with this psychopath and determined starer that you are and dead set on winning this contest of wills against this evil bastard let's say you don't close your eyes for 30 days what would this lead to might you become a bloodthirsty criminal like mr manson could you lose your mind at the very least, won't you cause some kind of irreversible trauma to your eyes? As previously mentioned, Mr. Manson has departed this earthly coil and is likely burning in some nether hell somewhere. So we can't ask for his unblinking stare advice. But before we condemn our eyeballs to such a torment, let's see why blinking occurs in the first place. Our eyelids close quite often, approximately every two to three seconds, 15 to 20 times a minute. This is an amazing, roughly 28,800 times a day. This act moisturizes our eyes and helps protect them from foreign invaders, be it a speck of dust, a finger of a passerby poking you in the pupil, 
or a bright light emanating from the sun or a high-watt flashlight. But according to scientists, to perform its protective functions, the eye shouldn't have to blink so often. So then, just why the heck do our eyes blink so much? First, let's talk about another activity the eye engages in, something you probably never even thought about before. It's important for us to have clear vision, a sharp eye in order to gather information about the world around us. At the core of our ability to see lies something called saccades. This is not an actual physical thing, but rather an action. It's the tiny, swift, synchronous, almost never-ending movement of our eyes between fixed points. This helps our brain build up a 3D image of the world around us. But why, you might ask, don't we visually notice this constant movement? Why do we see a smooth image instead of a series of jumps when scanning something? Why don't we see the in-between spaces? And why is our vision blurred when moving from one place to the next? We'll answer this all in a moment. Blinking is another eye action that most people never even give a passing thought to. When we blink, even though we are momentarily cutting off our view of the world, the light does not appear to diminish. It doesn't even seem to flicker. And the overall image doesn't change in terms of brightness or sharpness. Why does everything appear to remain exactly the same as it was before we momentarily closed our eyes? The answer in both situations is because a critical part of our brain turns off when we blink or when our eyes move during saccades. This hides the darkness of a blink or movement of a saccade from our visual system. By the way, saccades and blinking are very fast. Did I say fast? I mean really fast. Saccades are in fact the fastest movements performed by the human body, though blinks achieve a higher peak speed. When blinking, the eye closes for just three-tenths of a second. Even the fastest Bugatti in the world would envy such speed. Anyway, if the eye moves at such a speed, you might think we wouldn't be able to clearly perceive the world around us. As an example, try to view your hand while shaking it in front of you it will look blurry. But we don't notice this when our eyes move. As I mentioned before, this is where your brain comes into play. When the eye moves and the saccade occurs, our brain turns off our sight for a micro moment. And when the saccade finishes and the eye comes to a stop, we begin to see again as if nothing had ever happened. We literally go blind over and over and over again, all day, every day thousands and thousands of times. A similar thing happens when we blink, but no one remembers these moments. Let's call it sleight of mind. Our brain hides these movements or blinks from us, smoothing together the before and after images as if nothing had ever happened. Simply put, our brains deceive us, but for our own good. At the Berkeley campus of the University of California, researchers did a really cool experiment when investigating this refocusing or reframing that the brain does. Tests were placed into a dark room and a white dot was projected onto the wall in front of them. Then, precisely at the moment of a blink, when the participants' eyes were closed, the white dot was shifted ever so slightly to the side. 
After their blink finished, the group of subjects automatically moved their focus to the new location. The researchers continued to move the white point for a total of 35 blinks. Surprisingly, none of the participants ever noticed any changes in the dot's position, even after the 35th time. Researcher Baptiste Casiot explained this by stating that we have a system in our head specially evolved to convince us that no displacement during a blink has occurred. And most of the time, this is true, but not always as the experiment showed. You can check this yourself right now by performing the following experiment. Start a stopwatch and remember the number of seconds. Then look away and quickly back again at the watch. You'll see that the number of seconds has remained the same. Congratulations, you've witnessed the work of your subjective visual system. Your brain is a magician, but it only manages to pull off these tricks because saccades and blinking are only unconscious or semi-conscious processes. So what if we stretch ourselves and try to put our blinking under conscious control? There are several people in the world for whom not blinking for a mere 30 seconds is the easiest thing ever. The first ever record holder is an Australian named Fergal Fleming, who was later nicknamed the Eyesore. He lasted an astounding 40 minutes and 59 seconds without blinking. But in 2015, a sailor in the Chinese Navy managed to stand with his eyes open for 57 minutes and 24 seconds. That is, according to the South China Morning Post. At first, due to an eye infection, the Chinese mariner could not even stand 40 seconds with his eyelids open. However, he trained hard day and night for a month straight. He stood in the wind on deck or looked into the bright sky all without blinking. And now this guy isn't just a regular sailor, but the king of the peepers, the staring champion of the world. So what's the trick? Apparently there exists not just a physical reason, but also a psychological reason for blinking. Japanese scientists have put forward a fairly strong hypothesis. Subconsciously, we begin to blink when we need a mental rest. So for a short time, our entire visual stimulus system is turned off, allowing us to take a micro-breather. To further investigate this theory, a group of 10 people were examined in an MRI machine. Oddly enough, during the test, they watched the fantastic and lovable Mr. Bean. The final analysis showed that when the viewers blinked, their mental activity increased for a short time in areas related to the brain's passive non-active mode. For a split second, we seem to be transported to our own personal secluded island, a place where we can reboot ourselves a tiny bit, allowing us to deal with the impending ocean of incoming fresh visual stimuli with renewed vigor. Some of us need this kind of mini rest a little more and some of us a little less. That's why some of us blink more or less frequently than others. 15 years ago, it seemed as if everybody and their brother was trying to unveil the secret of a single pair of eyes. In 2004, there was a rumor in the USA regarding a man who supposedly almost never blinked his eyes. This speculation was concerning a retired U.S. Army general named Wesley Clark. He was that year participating in the primary race for the U.S. Democratic Party presidential nomination. And so he was on TV 
a lot. Real discussion broke out around his candidacy, the reason of which was the burning question, why doesn't this guy blink? According to rough calculations, Clark blinks only between two to four times a minute, or about once every 15 to 30 seconds. And let me remind you that the average person blinks every two to three seconds, so this was really strange. In fact, the difference is rather astonishing. Behavioral analyst Lillian Glass shared her observation that people who rarely blink and have a cold, steady stare are often liars. Or at least, this is a technique that practiced liars use. But does General Clark always lie? This is by no means the truth. Just because liars stare doesn't mean all starers lie. The director of the U.S.-based Center for Nonverbal Studies, who is also an anthropologist, one David Givens, managed to finally solve the mystery of Wesley Clark's nearly unblinking eyes. The fact is, he says, General Clark's autonomic nervous system operates at a lower level or frequency than that of most other people. In contrast to the record holders, Clark's rare blinking is more a congenital feature rather than an acquired skill. Nevertheless, both cases confirm the ability of a human being not necessarily having to blink for quite a long time. But could we manage a whole 30 days without blinking? There's a disease called Lagathalmos, where a person is not able to close their eyes completely, or in the worst case, the facial nerves in sufferers of this ailment don't work as well as they not able to convey the correct signals from the brain that normally command the eyelids to close. They could actually accomplish this task. But what about a completely conscious and voluntary decision to keep one's eyes open? At first, it might seem to you that this is quite doable and that you would only suffer some kind of minor fatigue. But if you try, then you will see the strain will increase in strength, growing ever greater as time goes by. The need, no, the absolute necessity to close your eyelids will increase to an unbearable level. Your eyes will start to burn and then suddenly fill with tears over and over again. Soon, the entire struggle of just not blinking will become an intolerable and unendurable nightmare. If you tried to continue this for a month, your corneas would dry up. The lens would become dim, losing all focus and sharpness. Your eyesight would begin to fade like a wilting flower under the hot desert sun. The gray veil of cataracts would envelop your eyes, after which would come an irreversible blindness. I think after hearing this, you're probably going to blink more often. I know I am. And that's the smart, safe thing to do. Because if you go blind, you can't watch Riddle. If you like the video, quick, give it a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already done so. Click on the bell button to turn on notifications so you can be the first to know about each and every one of our new videos. And stay with us because there's a ton more interesting content coming in the days, weeks, and months ahead. And don't forget to tell your friends about us, because with Riddle, the more is the merrier.